Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. We'll have everybody come in and join us. We'll start the morning off with some singing if you want to stand with us. I'll take a seat and we have announcements. Good morning. For those of you that might not know me, my name is Gary, one of the elders here. And uh, just a few things to let you know about. Uh, the most important one for right now is that right after the service today, there is food in the fellowship hall. We're having uh, a fellowship lunch. Lunch will be provided, so don't worry about, hey, I didn't bring anything. We didn't expect you to bring anything. Come on up and uh, spend some time and uh, just enjoy each other's company. Youth group is going to uh, have a, a reboot, a relaunch, starting next Wednesday, the 15th of September. Be right here at the church from 6.30 to 7.30. There will be a meeting about Kids Rock and a lunch. Uh, lunch seems to be a popular thing. Next Sunday after church, uh, following the service for current and future volunteers, uh, I'd like you to please RSVP to Elise, and um, just Elise at LibertyLakeChurch.com, or if you don't remember that, ask Julie. We can get an email for you. And then finally, uh, next, mm, no, a week from tomorrow, September 20th is a ladies' cooking class. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer and uh, handouts, and I'm thinking there should also be a sign-up sheet for guys that want to be the judges for this cooking class, right? So uh, it probably won't happen, but I think it's a good idea. So, All right, so that's everything that I have for you, and uh, let's worship. Stand with us again. Lord, I come 
Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing, Jesus Christ, the risen Thank you. 
dancers who dance upon injustice. Oh 
you can all take a seat and kids are dismissed to your classes. You can follow your teachers through the door and down the hall. morning. I, uh, we're going to be in chapter 35 of Jeremiah this week, and uh, we're going to only cover one chapter, so you can all just relax. Um, we're not going to do any too many marathons, but we do have a couple passages to jump through today. And uh, how many of you guys love it when you're compared to someone else, especially in your family? Isn't that wonderful? Could you guys imagine being Jesus' brother? Could you imagine? I love Michael Jr. He does a comedy piece on that. And he, he, uh, he actually does this part where he's like, oh, go, out, go out and get Mark. He was following Jesus across the lake again. That he was, Jesus walked on water. Mark couldn't. Okay. I guess, I guess I'll let Michael Jr. do the comedy. <laughs> but could you imagine him? Uh, just the, the, the process in our lives of being compared to others. Don't we love that? man, I wish you could do that as good as them, or you notice how they don't ever screw up, or anybody ever have a perfect sibling? <laughs> Sorry, Joan. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that uh, we don't, and, and oftentimes when we're compared to other people, it, it, uh, it's very difficult. In fact, I think a lot of times... Um, we uh, we'll, we'll do that in our own lives, right? We will um, we'll look at people and and uh, sometimes we'll we'll even look at it and be like, well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. Uh, in fact, we see that with the Pharisees. And uh, as we go into the passage this morning, it's a very unique moment in uh, the book of Jeremiah because it's this one spot uh, where we actually see God highlighting somebody in the nation of Israel and highlighting their activity as being faithful. It's the nation of Judah, but highlighting their activity as being faithful. And it's a, it's a very unique thing that happens in the text this morning because it's, it's just not anywhere else. You don't see this happening anywhere else in the text. Uh, and God's going to do that today. I'm going to start reading in Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 12 this morning. Uh, we won't read all of that passage, but you're obviously welcome to. It's not a long chapter. Um, but we're going to walk through that text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. And if you don't, you can uh, follow along on screen or on your phones, whatever it is that you're reading from. Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Go and say to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will not receive instruction uh, will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord? The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way. And amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear to listen to me, uh, your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rachab, have kept the command that their father gave them. But this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the disaster that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken to them, and they have not listened. I have called to them, and they have not answered. So one of the things I tried to do this week is I tried to practice Rechab's name, and I'm totally blowing it, because uh, somebody asked me, are you sure it's really Rechabites? Because that's what I just read through, and I saw Rechabites. So I went in, and of course it's not. Um, in, in Hebrew, it's much more, <laughs> and, and it's, anyway, so we're going to call him Rechab. You guys good with that? Okay. 
just checking to make sure you're all right because we're going to, unfortunately, this process, we're going to read a bunch of names uh, because we're going to go and look and take just a minute to figure out who these Rechabites are. Because here we are in Jeremiah 35, where uh, we'll, we actually see in the beginning part of the chapter that this is during the reign of Jehoiakim. So this is during the time where God is coming to the nation of Judah saying, listen, repent, you, you need to return. Don't continue to do the things that you've been doing, but do, but do the things that Josiah did. Do the things that your father did. And, and you need to return and, and turn away from these idols, and they're refusing to do that. So as God is giving illustration during, this, during Jehoiakim's reign, he's using this nation, this people, the sons of Rechab, to give an illustration of what it is that it looks like to follow the commands of the Father, to listen to the voice of their father. Well, who are these people? If you turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 2, you're like, Chronicles? I, I, I'd never even heard of the Rechabites until I got into Jeremiah, and I'm reading through. I'm like, who are these people? We have only a couple of records of them, and we're going to look at both of them this morning, and I absolutely love this. Uh, the first is that uh, they're actually scribes. Uh, they're in the line of David. If you go to First Chronicles chapter two, you'll see this is genealogy of David. All the way at the end of First Chronicles chapter two, verse fifty-five, you see this: the clans also of the scribes who lived at Jabez, the Tirathites, the Shemathites, and the Sukkites. These are the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab. These were scribes. In the line of David, that's what, that's what this tribe was. They were men actually in the line of David, which is just amazing. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great thing that we get to see this. So here's this, this scribe, this family line. And as we saw in our, the text that we read in verses 12 to 15, the, the Jonadab, this character, this person, one of the fathers in this line of, the, of, a, of Israelites, actually made his family take uh, a vow not to drink any wine. Now, it's entirely possible that this was uh, a, a, a vow for them. Um, oh, my goodness, I had it, and now I forgot it again. Nazarite vow, thank you. We did this the other day. We were talking about that, and it just, like, I, it just disappeared. Um, but it's very possible that this is a, a Nazarite vow, similar to what uh, John the Baptist does, where he drinks nothing, similar to what Samson did, where he drank, was supposed to have no wine, no, no alcohol on his lips, but dedicated to the Lord. So here we have these scribes, and they're, they're faithfully doing this. And Jeremiah points out that they have been faithful to this commitment, to this command by their father throughout all this time. These men are faithful servants. In fact, I, was, I thought, well, who's this Jonadab, and why, why is he mentioned here? Well, go to 2 Kings. I, you, this is just really cool. You, you, you really can't make it up. So you got to come and see who Jonadab is. I love how this storyline goes because it, it really ties into the whole picture of what God is calling for uh, the nation of Judah to do, to respond to him. 2 Kings chapter 10. Starting in verse 15, it says this. And when he had departed from there, he met Jonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? Jehu is the military soldier who God used to wipe out Ahab and Jezebel and all of their family. Jehu was this faithful servant of the Lord who went through and did a military purge of Ahab and his whole family. And, and Jezebel and all of that. And here we have Jonadab, who is part of that crew, following the Lord and going along with Jehu to actually do and, and complete the work of the Lord. Now, you can't, we can't leave it there, quite there. Uh, jump in your, same, stay in the same passage, uh, first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 28. Jump up to verse 28. Because, Jehu was this great man of God who, in verse 15, says, Come and see my zeal for the Lord 
or verse 16, he says, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. But I just want you to see where his life ended in verse 28. It says this, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel, but Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Beth, uh, Bethel and in Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had made Israel to sin. So you have this beautiful picture of, of Jehu and Jonadab, and the, there's a great contrast even in that moment uh, between Jahab and Jehu, or, uh, Jonadab and Jehu. As we see at the end of Jehu's life, even there, he, he, though he was a faithful man of God, he did not turn away from all of his idolatry. We'll tie back into that at the end. Just hang on to that. I just want you to keep that as a nugget because we're looking at this, this passionate, faithful man uh, named Jehu or uh, Jonadab. And in that process, we actually see him going around with Jehu and wiping out those who are opposed to the Lord and, and who are faithless to God. So how did the Lord use the Rechabites? Look back into Jeremiah chapter uh, 35, verse 1. What was the test? Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, uh, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord in to one of the chambers, then offer them wine to drink. Okay, just let that process for a second. What did the Lord do? He, test, he was testing them, right? He has Jeremiah, the prophet of God, go to a faithful group of people that had taken the oath not to drink wine, Brings them into the house of the Lord, into a room into the house of the Lord, and says, here's some wine, have some. Hey, guys, is that a test? Y yeah. When it's God's guy coming and saying, hey, I, I, you know, I don't know. Did Jeremiah say, hey, the Lord told me to do this for you? Could you imagine that test? I don't feel like that, that would be horrible. It's God's guy. It's Jeremiah. He's bringing the word of the Lord. He brought us into the house of the Lord. I would have been tempted. Is that okay? You guys okay with the Lord testing you? How many of you like tests at home, at school? How many of you like tests? At some of you like tests. I know some of you like tests. I know some of you like tests. I know it, because some of you are twisted. But in general life, do we like to be tested? No. I don't like it when, when my, either on the intellectual side I'm tested where I have to prove what I know, or on a spiritual side where I'm tested, where my faith is put to the test, where it's exposed whether or not I really trust God in those moments, whether or not I'm really going to be faithful to God in those moments. Those really simple tests where um, it's a long, straight stretch of road and you can't see anybody for miles. Hammer down. The tests when, when somebody gives you input that you didn't ask for. Or when a situation at work goes the wrong direction. Maybe even get yelled at at work. Is it okay that God was testing them? You know, I, we, we, we acknowledge, I think, intellectually that it's okay that God tests his children. But do we accept it joyfully as a loving father? Do we receive it and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity for growth. Thank you for exposing my area of, of needed improvement in my life. Do we, do we thank the Lord for those things? I don't normally, 
uh, at least not at first, typically after a little bit of time. But I wanted to, you got to see this because it's, it's really in the character of God. Proverbs 17.3, we're just going to run through a couple of, of short verses just so you can catch the, the, the heartbeat of this process. But God does test his children. He tests us. Proverbs 17.3 says this, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The Lord tests hearts. Jeremiah 17.10 says this, actually it's the Lord saying this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The Lord says he tests the heart. And you jump all the way back to James chapter 1. Verse 3, and we're just going to do verse 3. There, there's more there, you can read it. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So is it true? Does God test our hearts? Does God test our faith? Absolutely. Is he testing the Rechabites right now in our text? Not right now, in our text. He absolutely is testing them. And you know, the, the irony, the, the, the thing I think that is so amazing is that many of us would, would take this and say, hey, this is, a, this is one of those things where um, I actually had an interaction with an individual who would use this uh, to share with me that this is why we should set up good Christian boundaries for our lives. So no drinking. No, 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 no nothing that would be, you know, that could possibly uh, get us close to sin, right? Have you guys ever done any of that stuff? Have you ever been around in a legalistic system where you set up all the boundaries to keep you from sinning? Does it work? No. Why? Because boundaries do not stop our heart, right? Remember what God was testing. He's testing the heart. He's testing our faith. He's testing what we, what we are inside, which is exposed on what we do outside. So the, the position of our heart, the place that, that the, the, really the throne of our life, it's exposed by what we do. It's in our lives that those things are revealed. And so the faithfulness of God is to test those things. And in this story in Jeremiah, God's revealing to the nation of Judah that there are people who are following the commands of their earthly fathers who, when, in an instant amongst them when they won't follow, follow the commands of their heavenly father. It was in that we read it earlier in Jeremiah 35, 14. The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to, to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. The Rechabites have obeyed their father's command to not drink wine. And God's saying to the nation of Israel, they've listened to their humanly father. They've obeyed this, but you will not listen to me. You will not listen to me as your heavenly father, as the creator God. Right in verse 15, he, he, he continues on that. I have sent to you all my servants of the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds. Do not go after other gods to serve them, and then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. We have this amazing contrast between these two people, the people of Judah and this Rechabite clan who is faithfully living in obedience. Now, the, indi the implication here is that not only are they living in obedience to what their father said, but these people seem to be living in obedience to what God has said. And you actually see that at the end of 35, God gives them a blessing and promises them that, that someone will be standing before him for all time. They will have somebody represented in his presence for all time because of their faithfulness. And Israel was promised destruction. All of the destruction, all of the promises of peril that God had been telling them and warning them about for generations now, he says, will happen. So the question that I was asking myself this week is, who will I be in that story? 
Who, who would I be in this process? We, I want us to, to think about three different characters. One, the nation of Judah, right? The nation of Judah, they've had the word of the Lord. They've had the prophets coming. They, they've watched different kings. Actually, they just, you know, they just came out of a very prosperous time with Josiah following the Lord. And, and Jehoiakim comes in, and now they're going the other direction. Um, who would we be in that? Um, the, the nation of Judah who's rejecting God for idols, for the idolatry of the world? Would we possibly be like Jehu, who was very passionate for the Lord? And he did the things that God had called, that told him to do, but he never quite let go of the idols in his life. He never let go of the golden calf and the worship of the golden calf. But he was out doing great things for the Lord. Are we? That couldn't be us, could it? We, we couldn't hold on to idols in our lives, uh, things that, that we would put higher than God or, or higher than obedience to the Lord. Um, I mean, we don't have any idols in our lives like uh, pride, greed, money, comfort, wealth, money. What did I say? Oh, sorry. Yep, I got that one the right amount of times. Uh, what about religious pride? What about looking around and thinking of ourselves as better than other people? Is it possible that we could be like Jehu, passionate about the Lord in certain areas, but giving our hearts to idolatrous things in other places? What a, what a terrible, terrible uh, position for Jehu. I mean, we don't see anything more about him in that text other than it says, uh, other than what we saw in, in First Kings or Second Kings, was that he was passionate about this, but he never did turn from his, the, the idolatry that Jeroboam had actually taught. Or are we like the Rechabites, who are faithful under testing? I love what they said uh, to Jeremiah. Because they, they, they looked at Jeremiah, they're in the temple, and they're in this process of him saying, here's some wine, have it to drink. And they looked at him and said, that has never happened and it's not going to. We've never tasted wine and we will not do this. What an amazing moment for them to stand up under that testing, to respond faithfully in that moment. That's the, really the question that I'm wrestling with in my own heart. Who am I like in this story? What idols actually hold my passion and, and the, the heart worship that I give to the Lord? Do you guys know, you know, one of the things that I know personally um, that I struggle with, and I've shared this with you, it's the personal time in the Word. I get, I get plenty of time in the Word. I have, I, have, I've, I have the privilege of having that time set aside. But to actually set aside time on my own, where I just study for myself, I, that's a real labor for me. I, I have to really work at it. And you know the time that I really that is best for me to do that? It's early in the morning. For whatever reason, I get way more done early in the morning. If I get up early and get to it, I just, I'm more productive. I, I, I don't know why. I like to stay up late, but I'm more productive early in the morning. So what should I do if that was important to me? Help me out here. You guys are brilliant. I mean, this is like, this is a grade above average, right? Get up early in the morning and read your Bible. That's easy, right? Why wouldn't I do that? Sometimes, still get up early. My bride's up at 5.30 in the morning, whether I like it or not. Whether she has to be up or not. She's waking up. I could do it easily if it was important to me. Because I will get up early to do things that are important to me. I will do ridiculously difficult things to go and do things that are important to me. Uh, one of my friends was taking me hunting a few years back. I got to go elk hunting. It was one of my first times going elk hunting. Do you know what time we got up in the morning? 3.30. 
because we had to be up there before everybody else got up there. And there was other crazy people that were getting up at four. So we had to beat them up there. You know what? I, when I got up that morning, 3.30. It was important. I was reading our Bible important. Really? If you looked at my life and you weighed out all the time that I spend doing other things and the amount of time I put into reading Scripture personally, the truth is, it's not that important to me. That's what the evidence says. It's not what I want it to be. It's not what I'd like to tell you it is. But it's what the evidence says. Because I got more mornings that I sleep in and, and don't get to that and pick it up some other time, stick, sneak it in at either before I'm going to bed or, or, or maybe I've got a down moment when I'm not super busy with something else at home and I can do it. I can, st- I can poke it in somewhere else. But the dedicated time to say this is time for the Lord, I'm making a commitment before everything else, I'm going to make this a priority. If you look at the evidence in my life, the personal reading of Scripture is not that important to me. Anybody have a problem with that? I do. I know it. I'm looking at this going, wait, this is not how this should be. Because up here I know. But what, do I, what I'm doing time into reflect where my heart's really at. The Rechabites, when they were presented with this test, they responded with where their hearts were really at. Their faithful commitment to following through on the command that they were given by their father, by their great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. We don't know. I'm not sure exactly how many. I didn't do the count of how many generations to get here, but it's a number of them. I think it's like 14, somewhere in there. It's a bunch. And they're still faithfully following that command. So who are you in that story? Reality is, is I'm probably a lot more like Jehu than I'd like to be. Pretty passionate about certain things, passionate about the Lord. Good for a pastor to be passionate about the Lord, right? Sells that that that's good on the resume. You don't typically put out on your resume, eh, I can I can take it or leave it. All depends on how I feel that morning, really. Joshua chapter 24. I've got I'm gonna two more passages of scripture I want to share with you this morning. And um I love Joshua chapter 24 because it's at the end of his life, he's faithfully serve the Lord, and he's encouraging the people, the, the nation of Israel, as they're going into the promised land and, and as they're taking possession, and, and he's leaving, and, and they're going to start <clears throat> uh, going through this process. He's challenging them, he's encouraging them uh, to consider their faith. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and into Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a commitment with him and his family to serve God, and he he portrays for the nation of Israel the real challenge that they're going to face in the coming generations. Will you serve the God the creator God who's freed them from, who's rescued them out of Egypt, who's called them and and performed miraculous deeds in front of them, will you serve him in sincerity and faithfulness or will you continue to serve the other idols? 
those of Egypt or those of the Amorites, those who your fathers have served, who showed you, who taught you how to do that, or those of the nations that you're coming into. Who will you serve? And Joshua says, as for me and my house, regardless of what the rest of you all do, we will serve the Lord. I got to tell you, I want to say that this morning. I want to stand up here and say, I don't know who you're going to serve. You're going to serve the, the idols of the flesh, the, the desires of your heart. You're going to serve the, the, the idols of our culture or, 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 or the, the possessions or all of those things. Are you going to do all that? But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I would love to do that. Problem is, I got to do it tomorrow morning then. Because I can say all kinds of stuff from up here. You and I can agree about all this. We, we could say, I could say something wonderfully spiritual, and you all could go, amen. And we could do it publicly. It could be on camera. It could be this amazing moment. People are like, revival in the church. And if nothing happens tomorrow in our lives, any different than it happened today or any other day of the rest of the week, it means nothing. What's the point of that? If we're not going to change and live differently tomorrow, then what, what are we doing here? I don't, do you guys feel better about yourselves? I mean, I don't normally. I read this stuff and I'm like, ah, Lord, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a Jehu. I don't want to be Judah. I want to be faithful. I want to serve with sincerity. I want to live a life that's transformed and changed that results in, in, in a life behavior that is not recognizable to my old life. That really is who I want to be. And I know that it's a battle, and I know it's happening. And I know God's faithful, and by His grace, He's testing us. He's faithfully coming in and going, Hey, just so you know, Shane, I know you're passionate about this, but have you thought about working on this area over here? Because you are really passionate over here, but you don't seem to care about this, and it's important to me. I love that God does that today in front of you guys. I love it because it's wonderful that he's that faithful, right? Could you imagine if we committed to one another? Just do it with your spouse, sweetie. I'm, I'm so passionately concerned about you. I'm going to start helping you. Every time I see this flaw in you, I'm going to remind you about solving that. <laughs> oh, I love you guys so much. Thanks for letting me be me. But I got to tell you, I wish some of you could have seen the looks on your faces. Because we would never do that. Why? Because that would be a rough marriage. Even if we did that as brothers with one another, if every time we came together, my trusted closest friend said, hey, Shane, you're doing great in these areas, but man, you really stink over here. If we did that every time, there'd be a point in time I'd be like, you know what? I happen to be busy this meeting. I'm going to go do something else. Why? Because I don't, like these, I don't like those things. I don't enjoy that. But in the faithfulness of God, he's coming and he's bringing these things to light. And I, I think he does it at times in a very gracious way, and other times he does it in just a really direct, in-your-face way, because it's what we need. But John writes in 1 John chapter 2, I want you to, to look at this. I want, I, this is, it's, part of, it's part of the process of this love chapter that he's writing about this relationship between us and the Lord, between us and Jesus. And he speaks specifically, I think, to the temptations that you and I face today that although we live in different times, it was, it's a similar temptation to what Judah faced in, in following the cultural idols of their day, of, of trying to be like the rest of the nations. But John writes this in John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I told you guys that I don't like looking like a goofball, and so I actually 
sometimes I do go and practice how to say these names, and then I get a passage with like five of them, and I'm done. Like I don't, I don't even have a chance at getting those things right. And I gotta, t- I hate looking. I, I just don't like looking like an idiot. And I get up and I try and do that. And the worst part is when I really put some time into practicing, then I blow them. I, it's like it's even worse that I just run through them and acted like I was okay with it. Most of you wouldn't know. A few of the guys do. Tyler knows. He gives me a smile every now and then. And he's like, good try. Well done. Appreciate the effort. But I hate looking like I don't know what I'm doing. I hate that. You do. Well, he would think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. But isn't it interesting how God can use those things, those moments to reveal the pride of your heart? The pride of life, the desire to not look like you don't know what you're doing, the desire to look like you've got things under control, the desire to look like we're a good Christian. Now, I grew up in a home where cussing was a sin. But yelling and screaming at one another, somehow that was okay. Mom and dad are watching, so they know. <laughs> Love you guys. But is that okay? I mean, is, doesn't that violate how we treat one another? Is, isn't that violating God's word? So, which one's worse? We have all kinds of cultural rules and regulations around what it looks like to be a Christian. I mean, we, we, some churches even have dress codes. Do you guys remember the day? Do you guys still remember the day? Sally and I were going, we were in Bible school. This was like 100 years ago. Um, not that's a joke. We were in Bible school, and uh, we were going to this little tiny podunk country church. Nobody there wore a tie. Nobody wore a dress coat. And, I mean, we were, we were lucky if one of the farmers didn't come in and have his uh, boots on with manure on them still because he just left the, farm, the field and came right to church. That was the church we're going to. But we could not have, like, we, we were required to wear, a, I, I was required to wear a suit, like a jack, which I didn't have a suit. I got this suit. And I must have got off a retired pastor because he was this wide and this tall because um, the pants would not work. But uh, in the jacket, it made me look like an Oompa Loompa, I think, because the bottom of it went out like, anyway. Um, but that's the only suit I had. I had nothing else. I got it out of the, out of the closet, the missionary closet where you went and got free clothes. Um, that was all I had because I grew up in a farm community. We, this, was, this was what I wore to church. This was a nice outfit for me. Um, and so we would, we would go to this thing, and we were all decked out, tie. And I, did, I wore the same jacket every Sunday, but it was, you know, I, did, I found another tie so I could at least have two. And uh, I would ask, I'm like, why do I have to wear this? Well, it's the, it was the dress code. It was the dress code of the school, even to the point where, we couldn't have lunch if we weren't in our suit. If I wasn't still dressed up like a monkey, I could, sorry, that came out. Um, if I was not still dressed up in my suit, I was not allowed to go and get the lunch at the school that was provided for the students. That was the dress code that we had. You know, there was kids sneaking alcohol into, the, into the, that really, really strict Bible school. There was kids that were making out. Even though Sally and I, as an engaged couple, were allowed to hold hands after we got permission from the dean of men. She was 24. I was 22 at the time. And we had to get permission to be engaged at our school. They had all kinds of rules, all kinds of regulations, all kinds of structures around that whole thing. And somehow sin still happened. The love of the world, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, those things that the world offers and says, hey, you guys, these things are what really should fuel your life. God says, no, let me be that source. And I believe that you and I do have an obligation to choose. We have an obligation to choose right now, like we'll have an obligation to choose as soon as we leave the church. We'll have an obligation to choose when we get up in the morning. We'll have an obligation to choose when you have a conflict in your home, when your children do something crazy, when work goes nuts, or you pass me on the freeway. You'll have an opportunity to choose to follow the Lord at that moment. 
And I do believe it starts with a decision in our hearts. It does start with that moment to say, God, I choose you today. Whom will you serve today? Today I'm going to serve the Lord. And the moment that I recognize that my heart's being tempted by the desires of my flesh or the desires of my eyes or the pride of life, then I can stop and confess that and say, no, Lord, this is not of you. But I do believe that we should at least evaluate the nation of Judah, the situation of this Old Testament book that's talking about the hearts of people who had the word of the Lord and who rejected it and face the consequences. I do believe that we should ask ourselves, God, who are we like in this story? Where is my heart postured towards you today? Are you just an add-on? Are you just an additional piece that I do because on Sundays it looks good for me to be at church? Is it, are you just the person I come to when things aren't going well and I need a little extra help because I can't do it on my own? Or do you own my life? Are you on the throne of my life? Are you who I worship? Are you who I serve? Are you who I exalt in the daily things that I do? I want him to be on the throne of my life. I'm acknowledging to you guys that doesn't happen every single day for me. I have to fight that battle. Because I have a fleshly issue. I have a pride issue. I like what the world offers. And they got nice cars in the world. I like them. How do you not like some of that stuff? It's hard not to like what the world offers. Some of you guys like boats, right? It's okay to like boats. They got some gorgeous boats in this place. Amazing. But who's on the throne? That's the question I think we each should ask. Who is it that is on the throne of your life this morning? As we go to prayer, I want to ask you just to quietly reflect. Are we like Judah, rejecting God for idols? Are we like Jehu, who's passionate, but he wouldn't, he would not give up the golden calf, the idolatry in his life. Glad to go after the Baal worshipers, glad to kill all of them and to kill Ahab and to, to purify the kingdom of the Lord, but he never gave up his idolatry. He was passionate but not fully committed. Or we like the Rechabites who are faithful under testing. When God tests, he finds faithfulness. Heavenly Father, Lord, I acknowledge that way too often in my life I feel like I have been Jehu and uh, passionate about you on, in, in one area, especially when it, when it shows, when it's public, but oftentimes still holding on to my personal idols. And I recognize, Lord, that that is uh, it's, it's probably the condition of many of us who are in this process of faith this walk of faith that we're doing with you or where you have perfected us for all time, but you're still sanctifying us. So God, as we consider that this morning, I pray that you would peel back the, the coverings, peel back any blinders that we may have to the idols in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our life clearly, to recognize when you are on the throne and when we put other things on the throne of our life. Open the eyes of our heart, open our ears, that we would hear your word, that we would see what you're doing. And Father, I pray that you would faithfully, as you do, I, I should thank you for faithfully testing our faith, for, for disciplining us as your children, for loving us enough to engage us in these areas and to not leave us as we are. So I just thank you for that. I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we have in the Old Testament to show us how you love your people, how you love them in discipline, how you love them in blessing. 
and how you love them, even when there's trials and testing, Lord. I just thank you for your, your character and who you are. Thank you for the privilege that we have today to fellowship. I pray that we, would, uh, that we would recognize that as a gift and that we would take advantage of that and enjoy this time of eating and fellowshipping together, praying for one another, supporting and encouraging one another, and that you would use this for your glory. We give it all to you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You want to stand? May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Amen. Still need sound. Thank you. <laughs> Join us up for the potluck. 
I feel like Shane already blessed it. So maybe tell them that, hey, it's okay to start eating food. I don't know.